soon as you, we're not going to listen to all of it, but as soon as you recognize where this piece of music is from, I'd like you to stick your hand in the air. I'm hoping there should be a reasonable number of people that will recognize this piece of music that's about to hit our speakers any second now. Not, not quite as many as I thought. Okay, we'll have that, have that off. Some people's hands were straight up there uh, right away. Uh, well, that was the theme tune to the most watched global TV drama of all time, which is, of course, Game of Thrones. Hands up here if anybody has ever watched Game of Thrones, any episodes. Okay, hands up here if you have no idea what Game of Thrones is about. Okay, a little bit of explanation is required. I knew there would be people here that wouldn't know what it was. Um, but let me tell you. So, you've obviously, some of you have been living on a totally different planet for the last eight years or so since this uh, series first hit our screens. Like I've already said, it's the most watched global drama series of all uh, time. It's watched by 40 million people alone in the States, um, about 14 to 15 million in the UK, and it's a top hit in virtually all of the 186 countries around the world which it is shown in. It's a drama that is based in a mythical uh, land. And I'm not going to ruin the storyline too much, but basically the whole plot is uh, that it starts with a king that ruled over, rules over seven kingdoms in this mythical land. Uh, he dies in somewhat dubious circumstances. And when he dies, basically the seven kingdoms descend into uh, war and competing factions as there's different characters from different places, uh, all parts of the kingdom, that have various claims to take over the Iron Throne and rule the seven uh, kingdoms over it. Uh, there's a bit, it's a bit more complicated than that, but that's kind of the main gist of it. We won't go into the White Waters or anything like that. But what makes this TV show so popular amongst most people, although not amongst a significant number of us here tonight, uh, other than the fact it's got really cool dragons in it. I think there are two main reasons, and they don't include the fact that the average episode, the spend on the average episode, by the way, just in case you're interested by HBO, the average episode costs $10.3 million to make, which is an incredible amount of money. But it's not that. I think the two main reasons are, first, you can never tell what is going to happen in the show. Main characters are not immune from being killed off quite regularly and often in a quite gruesome manner and in unexpected ways. It keeps you on the edge of your seat from episode to episode. You have a main character played by some famous actor and they last half a series at best sometimes. So that's one reason. It's an exciting watch. 
But second and more important, why I think lots of people like watching in it, is all of the characters in this show, the main characters, they all have strengths and weaknesses. They all have good sides and dark sides to them. No one in this show is perfect. Yes, some characters are worse than others, and we might generally like one character over another. But even the better characters have flaws, have dark sides to them that lead them into trouble. So although this show is in a totally mythical land and creatures of magic and dragons and all sorts happening, going on, there is a connection, I think, between us and the people because all the characters have a ring of truth about them. George Martin, who wrote the books that the TV series is based on, talks about openly how in all the books that he writes, he tries to give the characters an air of believability. That when he looks around the world, he sees people that have good sides and bad sides. He sees a world as well in which there are competing ideologies and different things going on that have good parts to them, but also have a dark side to them. He sees that in political systems, in kingdoms, in different cultures around the world. And he tries to put that sort of reality that he sees in the world into his books and he sets them in mythical worlds. So people can relate to and understand the characters, but it's also quite fun and easy to watch because it's not threatening because it's in a totally other world from what we see going on. And I think that second reason is the reason why it's so popular. Because we can relate to and see in the characters in this show something that's going on in the world around us. And particularly, it's the way that the younger generation view the world around us. All those that are doing social studies and looking at what younger people view as the world as well tell us that this younger generation are growing up thinking that the world is broken, that it has flaws in it. Yes, there's good going on, but there is flaws and brokenness in all societies and cultures and the different things that they see in the world. And George Martin has tapped in, in this, into this in these books that he wrote that were made in to this TV series. He's seen what was going on and has popularized it in a very entertaining way. Game of Thrones resonates with people because they can identify with it. What on earth has that got to do with the Lord's Prayer? I hear you asking. Well, tonight we're focusing on the lines, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what I want us to focus into is actually, what do we mean when we think, when we say those words, and when we think about 
God's kingdom. Because we live in a world, don't we? I think the young people are right. I think we can look around the world and we can acknowledge it's broken. Yes, there's good in it. But wherever we look, there is brokenness, there's hurting, there is suffering, there is conflict, there's anger going on. No matter where we look, what political system we're in, things are not as we would want them to be. Things are not as I would want them to be in our country, the United Kingdom. I'm sure they're not all rosy for you either. And these lines, these words that we say in the Lord's Prayer, that if I'm honest, I can skip over quite quickly till we get to the give us today our daily bread when I can list all the needs that I want. I can skip over these lines really, really quickly and miss the importance and significance of them. So I'm just going to share with you some observations about what it means to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. And the first thing I want us as Christians to be aware of is that we are in a battle of kingdoms. But unlike Game of Thrones, we're not in a battle of a kingdom that has good side and a bad side to it, fighting against another kingdom that has good and bad sides to it. We are actually in a kingdom or fighting in the kingdom that has just a good side to it with no flaws. But we are in a battle of kingdoms. Let me read to you some uh, verses from Ephesians, the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Sorry, I haven't got a church Bible number for you. But anyway, it's from Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Uh, starting at verse 10, he says this, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark age against the world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We, or Paul was writing to the Christians there, we're followers. We are in a battle against the values and customs of this world. We can often forget that, I think, particularly in the West. We have a relatively comfortable life that we can forget that we are in or living, or supposed to be living for, a different kingdom to what we live in. We don't have to worry about where our food or drink or clothes are coming for most of us here. Thames Water are currently uh, replacing the water pipes uh, around our streets at the moment, and I was without water for 15 minutes uh, during the week, which was mildly inconvenient. But I had no worries about where that was coming. The world around me is quite comfortable, relatively. We can forget quite easy that we are in a battle, that we belong 
in and for the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure you all know, but when Jesus came, what did he say? The kingdom of heaven is near. It's come. It's at hand. Jesus came to usher in a new kingdom for us, for those that believe in and trust and follow him. The kingdom of God is here. So the first thing for us to think about is when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, is actually we're praying for the kingdom that we belong in already and are standing in to grow, to move into, to be more known in the world that we live in. It's not just a request for God to do something that has no relation to where we are. It is a prayer, it is a petition for us as well to think about what part am I to play in God's kingdom. Okay, that's the first thing. I've got lots of points. I probably won't do them all, but we'll see how we we go with time. Okay, so the second thing is we are in a kingdom battle. But the second thing we need to remember as we do this is that God's kingdom has won the war. I'm sure lots of you have heard this idea of the now and not yet of God's kingdom. We started, didn't we, last week, uh, Sarah uh, spoke to us on the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer. And we remembered that we have our Father in heaven, Abba, as it is in the original, almost like Daddy. Our Father in heaven. We've got a close relationship with a God who who is in heaven. And then we're talking about honouring his name. Hallowed be your name. And now we're praying. We're close to you, God. (laughs) You're our Father. You're above us. Hallowed be your name. Let's honour your name. And how are we going to honour his name? By bringing his kingdom here on earth. A kingdom that we belong to. When Jesus came and lived, he brought the kingdom in and it brought us all in it through what he did for us on the cross. The kingdom on earth is marked in the Bible or biblical language as being a kingdom that is marked by sin, suffering, and ultimately death. The wages of sin is death and dying. And what Jesus came when he came to earth was he defeated those things. He took the sins of the world, our sins, on himself and put them to death. He got rid of them on the cross for us. But it didn't end there. He also rose to life, breaking the ultimate consequence of sin itself, death. He broke the power of it. He defeated that kingdom. And when we believe in him, we are told we live in that kingdom now. Our sins are forgiven. 
we have eternal life. The markers of that kingdom have been taken away and we have been transferred and we stand in a new one. But what happens when we look around the world? Do we still see death? Do we still see suffering? Do we still see sin? We do, don't we? So although we've been transferred and that old kingdom has ultimately been defeated by what Jesus has done, it has, the battle has not ended. And the Bible talks about, although the battle by God has been won, the war has been won, the battle will continue until Jesus comes again. Or for us, which might be soon, it might be tomorrow, nobody knows, uh, when Jesus comes again. And the battle goes on for us when Jesus comes again or until we are transferred and promoted to our Heavenly Father ourselves. There's the now and the not yet. We can have, we are part of God's kingdom, but we're still in a battle here on earth against those things. And we are to fight against those things. We are not to let those things in the world that go against the values of God's kingdom to rule our lives. We are to live as people standing in God's kingdom, set free from our sin, confident that death has lost its grip on us, confident that God's kingdom does rule and we want it to grow here on earth. I've been at New Wine, not last week, but the week before. And it was a really uh, great, really exciting week. For those of you that don't know what New Wine is, it's like a giant Christian festival where you have uh, thousands of people from all over the country uh, flock to camp together. Um, camping's the worst bit, but the rest of it's really, um, really, really good. Wonderful time of community with group of the church that we went to, wonderful talks, uh, worship and, and teaching, just a wonderful, refreshing time in, in your faith. And one of the challenges that I took away or was challenged by when I was there was uh, the confidence that people had to pray bold prayers, to pray prayers that represented the values of God's kingdom unashamedly and confidently, like prayers that people confidently would be healed from things they'd been suffering with for years, some since birth. And there was a guy there in particular that sort of had a healing ministry. And he came with, story, came with stories of inc incredible things that people had been healed from. And we saw people healed while we were there. And I went to one of his seminars, and he was a really uh, down-to-earth guy. And he simply says, we share all these stories about um, God doing miraculous things, you know, healing, bringing an end to suffering and doing all these things for these people. He said, but you know what? There is far more people that I pray for that aren't healed than are healed. He said, but what I want to do is I want to further God's kingdom here on earth. That is my priority. I believe 
in God's kingdom where there is healing, where there is restoration, where there is no suffering, no tears anymore, where there is forgiveness, where there is fullness of life. So I'm going to pray for those things for people. I don't, didn't fully understand why not everybody was healed. But he was working and living out of knowing what God's kingdom was like and seeking to grow it in his ministry. When we pray, thy kingdom come, what part are we playing in growing the values of God's kingdom in our lives? One of the Bible passages, there's lots of Bible passages I like, but there's another Bible passage I like. And this is, a, this is one from uh, the book of Second Corinthians. I'm kind of moving on to my third point here. So we've looked at we're children of, of God. Uh, we can call uh, God our Father. But Paul, in one of his letters, sort of on top of that as well, in addressing a church in Corinth, he calls the church there, followers, ambassadors. Let me uh, read you some uh, verses from 2 Corinthians uh, 5. So he's writing to uh, believers. He says, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And then verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors God is making his appeal through us. Now, I'm sure we all know what an ambassador is, but back then, ambassadors uh, kind of had even more authority uh, than they do today. Back then, an ambassador was much like it was today, that phrase, somebody that would go and represent a different kingdom in a foreign land. But back then, when Paul was writing, unlike today, if something kicked off, um, and something happened, you couldn't just pick up a phone and say, what shall I do? Um, I need to make a decision here really, really quickly. The ambassador literally had to make a decision. So they were sent in countries, and they had two objectives. They had to represent the values of the kingdom that they were sent from. In the foreign land, they were there to represent the values of the kingdom they came from. So if you were a Roman ambassador in Corinth, you would represent, you know, you'd have the authority to represent Roman values in that city to promote them. And your job was to grow the influence of where you came, create links and relationships, and grow influence, and grow your kingdom there. But on top of that, you weren't just to represent, you were also sent with authority. You had the authority to make decisions, to declare things on behalf of that nation that you were representing. So if a decision was needed or funds were needed, you had the authority to say yes or no. You had the authority to make people citizens of your kingdom. You even had authority as the ambassador to remove people, say they were no longer citizens of the country you represented. You had great power. So when Paul is writing to the church here, when he's saying you're ambassadors, 
he's saying to us followers that we have great authority here on earth to represent God, to be people of influence, to look for furthering his interests in the way that we live and the relationships that we have. And we have authority as well to declare, uh, to ask for the things that we need to promote God's kingdom values here. And that's indeed what it says in verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors. Next part. God is making his appeal through us. God wants to use us here on earth to further his kingdom. So, when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, Thy kingdom come, we are not saying something that is just the responsibility of God to do. But when we say it, we are indeed actually or should be thinking about what am I doing to promote God's kingdom here? What is my Father's will for earth? God's kingdom, God's will to be done in our lives. I was, um, as I was doing this talk, I was thinking back, what's a really good analogy for us representing uh, God here? And um, I remembered a really embarrassing thing. I can't believe I can remember from back when I was in uh, infant school. Sorry, infants is like um, the first few years of primary for those of you that, that don't know, but I went to a, just an infant school. And I can remember quite often I used to have uh, discussions with my friends, highly mature ones, along basically along the lines of, my dad's bigger than your dad. Anybody else have those discussions with their friends? Yeah, a few of us could. It's not just me. That was foolish. And looking back, they're, they're quite, em- quite embarrassing, aren't they? But what it was, it was there's this idea that um, you were proud of and he, you believed that your dad could honour and protect you and was like, the best, basically, and was far superior over anything else. And you had that belief. And sometimes it got you into trouble or or arguments. And I wonder in our culture today that we sometimes slip into a bit more uh, Game of Thrones-style thinking. That, oh, yeah, there's good and there's bad going on. Oh, it's all a bit grey. And we lose confidence in that because we're bombarded constantly by saying, oh, let's just accept everything that's going on. But actually, we need get to get back, I think, to a bit more of that childlike faith in our heavenly father and realize that actually my dad wasn't bigger and stronger than all the other dads out there. I know he wasn't, um, even though I believed it at that age. But actually, our God is bigger and better than anything else out there. I really believe that. And we need to have that childlike confidence in it for ourselves. Pray those bold prayers and go for it. So, what I want us to think about now is where is God asking you to further his kingdom in your life? 
Where is it that you are not living your life as though you is marked by the things of God's kingdom? Where are you not living for his values? Is it at work where perhaps you're quiet on issues that you shouldn't be? Are you allowing a company to deliberately mislead people, investors in it? Are you being quiet? Where can you be an influence for furthering honesty, valuing people, not looking to exploit others? Where are you not sowing grace or mercy where you should, in your home or with your friends? Where are you not stepping out and praying bold prayers for those that are in need and are hurting in the world? When are you just walking by and not living for God, when you should be furthering his kingdom and doing what he would do? We still might have our flaws in us. But I believe if we are bold and confident and go after God, we will further his kingdom more than we could imagine. And that's certainly what challenged me at New Wine. Be bold and be confident. Trust in the values of God's kingdom. Further them here in your life. Trust in them. The world might think, We're foolish, but actually, miracles happen, and God has really won the battle. So let's trust him.